all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 239 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Mozart episode of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that Mozart composed one, just one, work for two orchestras. And that dual orchestra work is known as K239. And with that wonderful little bit of Mozart knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Timitis. Timitis. I have the Timitis touch. Ha! How artst thou. Artst thou's doing, doing well. I'm sitting here sipping on a bridal wood reserve Syrah. From the lovely grapes grown in central California in the Santa Ynez Valley, over by Solvang, California. You're drinking canned wine? No, okay, so you think it's canned because of my La Croix that I opened as I was sitting down. <laughs> I was like, it sure as shit sounded like a can. No, this is full-on <laughs> bottle. Ah. The only way to drink wine... I don't care how many people out there say that boxed wine has gotten better... It hasn't, unless, uh, I mean, unless you drink boxed wine often. I, I don't. I am I, I am a uh, purist. I believe in the glass bottle of wine. Uh, my wife has been known to slum it and just get the table wine, uh, the box, uh, because it's, you know, literally just cheap shit and she gets a nice buzz, so... And I mean, she goes bargain fucking basement, bro. I mean, we're talking Aldi brand, like $11 for 60 fucking glasses or some shit like that. I mean, it's, it's the box. And then it turns out that my dad has a little bit of wine slum in him as well because he taught her how to properly lean the box to maximize the vacuum seal on the bag inside of the box because let's face it folks you know you're not actually drinking the wine from the box proper there's a vacuum seal bag in there and yeah so he taught her how to lean the box and yeah they get every drop out of that thing to their credit though now that i've outed them for being box wine drinkers uh they haven't done it in like four or five months that i'm aware of (laughs) so maybe maybe something happened and they finally realized dear god i'm drinking wine from a box and they've they've stopped so yes they are on the track to self-recovery i think four or five months they are almost over (laughs) the slump but i would not give it to them just yet I mean, I don't want to offend, I don't want to offend Alcoholics Anonymous or anything, but I think they're about ready for their six month chip. Maybe it looks like a box of wine, you know, but it's an, but it's, you know, like an emblem on a chip or something. I don't know. Now, there has to be something better you have to give, like, somebody for boxed wine, you know, like, I don't, I don't. Like a bottle of wine? Like, (laughs) congratulations, you can have a bottle of wine again. (laughs) Um, I'm a, my, my, my two favorites, I'm a, uh, uh, a a Riesling, well, a Gewurztraminer, 
Uh, I like a sweeter white wine. So I'm Gewurztraminer into the Riesling and on the white wines. And then my red wines, I'm really a Pinot Noir kind of a guy. Um, I will also do a – it's really weird. I don't like Syrah. I do not like Cab Sav. But you give me a Cab Syrah and I am there. I am there, sir. I am happy to enjoy the Cab Syrah. So it's really weird when it comes to wine. But, um, yeah. Well, with you being so. – uh, ha- having family in in uh, Seattle, Seattle mm-hmm. and, and especially Oregon – I know we've talked about this on the show before – Oregon has delicious, delicious Pinot Noir because of the climate over there and how uh, mm-hmm. the, the coolness and the wetness. It's just a perfect qu- uh, climate for Pinot Noirs. But since uh, you like Javertsdewiener, Javertsdewiener, wow. Javertsdewiener? <laughs> or that too. There, I, I know, I know uh, Chateau Saint-Michel is a pretty popular... It is. That's where, that's where we toured last year. Oh, that's we were, right. We actually went and toured that... Uh, tour that winery that got me hooked on the Javertz Wiener. Yeah, I like Sato Saint Michelle a lot. That's definitely a very good go to. Relatively, you know, in it, I mean, it's not like super cheap, but it's also not super pricey. For no, the type yeah, of I mean, you is. can un- exactly you can get a really decent bottle, um, virtually any vintage except their you know really top shelf stuff uh, from Chateau Saint Michel for between eleven to. 14 bucks the vast majority of stuff and and that's gonna be like if you're going to total wine and more and stuff and that's you know like your multi-bottle discounts but they do have stuff in the you know that you can get that's decent in the you know 12 13 dollar range so you don't even have to spend a ton of money to get a decent wine if you don't want to now they definitely do have wines that are up there and damn are they good but you know you don't. You definitely don't have to go boxed wine either. I guess is my point. See, I always thought also like one thing that I learned from going to Santa Barbara this past weekend, and it's like my fourth or fifth time I've been there. I, I absolutely love Santa Barbara. This whole thing, it's not Santa Barbara. I keep saying Santa Barbara, but Solvang, this uh, the Los Olivos and Santa Ynez Valley, is that it's very different from like Napa and uh, Sonoma county where those are just very posh and ritzy and that's where all the rich folk go and it's very like uh corporate i guess when it comes to the wine world but they do have very good wine in solvang it's great quality the same quality but definitely cheaper and a lot of people from up in those areas in napa and sonoma own vineyards in solvang as well and solvang is that awesome like dutch village for the movie sideways for those out there who who don't know what the hell i'm talking about but One thing that I always thought with wine, like you should never say about wine to a winemaker or the dude that's pouring you the glass of wine or the tastings or whatever at the vineyard, is you never ask, how good will this wine taste with sangria? Like if you were going to make sangria, will this be a good wine to use? I would think, you know, that would make them be like, well, hold on. I mean, that's sangria. You don't take, it's, it's like a fine tequila. You know, you don't take a fine tequila and make a fucking <laughs> and, margarita with it. That's right. You don't pour that into the in, into the margarita machine. Exactly. exactly. I would think that maybe these people, the tequila people, would have a heart attack if they, you know, they, not only would you use a fine tequila for a margarita, but then you put a fucking Corona in that margarita, whatever those are called, the the, the beer ritas or, or oh whatever. yeah, beer, yeah, Corona ritas or something like that. Yeah. I've even seen one. We have a local 
uh, a regional chain, strictly speaking, out here called Gringos. And they Ooh, actually have, uh, their food is fucking fantastic. No question. Yeah. Um, but they actually have the champagne or champagne reader or something like that. And no shit. It's like the cheapest, nastiest brute. It's not, of course, it's not really champagne. And they take that and they p- put it upside down in the, in the big goblet of, uh, whatever craptastic margarita they are serving. So I'm sure it's delicious. Oh, <laughs> I do once get again, fishbowl margarita. My wife and my dad happened to have a couple of them one night, which is why I know they exist. <laughs> so maybe they lose their maybe they lose their right to bottled wine again. Was that when know. you found it all over the bathroom floor and No, I, I gotta hand it to they they were grown ups about it and they, they handled their liquor well, but I was just like champagne and a frozen margarita? Are you kidding? It's not even real champagne. But whatever, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But the last thing I will say about wine country, the Solvang area, and the using their wine for sangria, is that apparently that's a thing. In even in in Solvang, like a lot of these places, uh, at least two of the the six or seven vineyards we went to, had a had sangria, and I do love a good sangria. But I, I would just think that was blasphemous for a vineyard to do such a thing. I would think they would hold their wine on such a a higher standard or or something like that but uh yeah that was a super roundabout way to i guess get to saying that you can now get sangria at a fancy vineyard nowadays and yeah it was so bringing us long way back around we're recording on the 5th of july having celebrated america's 241st birthday oh yeah that happened Yes, that happened because America, fuck yeah. That's right. Good old America's independence. Or as I've seen it be called this year, Brexit 1776 edition, which I thought was pretty funny. I, I, I got to hand that. That's clever. Uh, but yes, I'm glad we definitely, everyone seemed to have had a wonderful Independence Day. So yay. And I guess without further ado, shall we go ahead and check the old mail sack, sir? Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. If you would like to send us an email, of course, please, we want to hear from you. The uh, email address is the show at slscast.com. Uh, we don't have any emails this week. Uh, so sorry, Johnny. Uh, I guess you'll just have to picture those castration sounds in your head. And um, as far as uh, followers for the SLS cast on Twitter, which if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we'd love for that as well. That is at the SLS cast. Uh, we had, I want, it was uh, just a hair under 50. So yay, that's awesome. Thanks again for all of those follows. We're about to hit 500. I know, just I'm so about. excited. We're, we're, we're almost there, almost there. So uh, yes, so that is awesome. Checking the old sack for that. And without further ado, uh, we have an abbreviated but still important nonetheless news segment to get to, don't we, sir? That we do. Then here we go, folks. It's the news. And this week's news is that of the somber kind. What do you have for us, sir? Yes, it is an R.I.P. 
via the hollywoodreporter.com Michael Nickvist, Dragon Tattoo Star, dies at 56. This here is written by Eaton Vlessing. And it says this. Michael Nickvist, who starred as Mikkel Blumkist, opposite Numi Rapace in the original Swedish film version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and its sequels, died Tuesday after battling lung cancer, his family said. He was 56. Quote, Michael's joy and passion were infectious to those who knew and loved him. His charm and charisma were undeniable, and his love for the arts was felt by all who had the pleasure of working with him, end quote. A family statement read, Nickvist also appeared in John Wick, top-lined by Keanu Reeves, and as the villain nuclear scientist in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol opposite Tom Cruise. The role of Mikkel Blumkist is the American big-screen adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, based on Stig Larsson's Millennium Trilogy, was played by Daniel Craig. Nifkist also starred in Colonia, opposite Daniel Bruhl and Emma Watson, and played Captain Sergei Indropoyov in the Donovan March-directed submarine-set action thriller Hunter Killer. He also appeared. One more time. Can can I get that? Can I get that character name one more time? <laughs> yeah, you, you know it was Captain Sergey. Uh, you know Captain Sergey. It was just Captain Sergey. Se- yeah, it was just Captain Sergey, and it may or may not be Andropoyev. In Andropoyev. Uh, but uh, thank you, sir. yeah, and he also appeared in the 2016 Sundance selection Frank and Lola, which starred Michael Shannon and Imogen Poots on the TV front. Nitkis starred opposite Dominic Monaghan in 100 Code, the Sweden-U.S. series created by Bobby Moresco. Born Rolf Ak Mikkel Nifkist on November 8, 1960 in Stockholm, he was educated at the School of Drama in Malamo. He apparently caught the acting bug when, at age 17, he traveled to Omaha, Nebraska for one year as an exchange student. I didn't realize you could catch any bug in Omaha, Nebraska. After starring in mostly Swedish theater and movie productions during the 1980s and and early 1990s, including in the role of the police officer Bunk in the series of Beck films made in 1997, Nick Vist had a career breakthrough with the 2000 Swedish dramedy Together, directed by Lucas Moodyson. He then played the role, the lead role, in the 2002 Swedish romantic comedy drama The Guy in the Grave, Next Door, directed by Kijel Sundval. A year later, Nickvist started in the Swedish film As It Is in Heaven, which was nominated for an Academy Award in the Best Foreign Film Competition. He is survived by his wife, Katharina, and their children, Ellen and Arthur. End all quotes there. This is pretty sad because, I mean, I don't really remember him in John Wick or Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I'm not going to pretend I did. But one of the first movies that Matt and I reviewed for this show as a practice run before our original It was the first movie. That was was the movie set that we did. We we totally covered that trilogy together. We did. The original Dragon Tattoo trilogy. And... I still remember, I mean, he is who I remember the most, really. I just thought he was really good, and he smoked a lot, but he just really played that troubled character, and I thought he was more effective than Daniel Craig. Oh, I agree. I do, however, remember him in Ghost Protocol, and I finally, finally got to introduce my wife to John Wick the other day, so I, of course, 
have absolutely no excuse to <laughs> say I I can't remember him from that because you know I just, I just saw him yesterday or the day before, and he I mean he really and truly did bring the right amount of gravitas, and I don't mean that in terms of celebrity. I mean in terms of power to the character he was portraying and be it dragon tattoo to all the way to john wick whenever you saw him do something he knew just how much or how little the character needed at that moment and that is what i'm going to miss most about his work you know i don't know much about his private life and i don't know you know, what charities or political activities he was into or anything like that. And so I know that his friends and family, of course, are really having a hard time right now. But as as a fan of cinema and as a fan of his work, that is what I'm going to miss most. Yeah. And I think because of this, once I first heard read about this a week or so ago, I don't think I mentioned this, but that article from the, Ho- the Hollywood Reporter was posted on... 627 yeah june 27th i started thinking a lot about the original dragon tattoo i went back and revisited the david fincher daniel craig one i think last uh, november or something like that and i thoroughly enjoyed it but it just like gave me the itch to want to go back and review the original one so if we ever decide to re-review classic films that we once already reviewed five years ago i say let's do it man yeah. Whenever you want. Well, you know, we we have something in the works right now. I'm not going to say what it is, but Tim and I have been going back and forth for the past two and a half weeks now, and we had a big pre-show meeting. We're going to deliver a live cow on air. <laughs> no, but but we have uh, we have things in the works. There are there are plans plans for us. So I think that this could work. That this would be an excellent way to work into uh work work this concept into our plans so yeah that's what i think people oh. the plans work it into the plans the ultimate that's plans. right yes 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 so yeah so i agree with tim definitely r.i.p and i do hope that we get a chance to revisit the original dragon tattoo trilogy as well so i guess now it's time for our bonus segment did it age well? Yeah, I don't think we 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 don't we don't have. A I don't know opinion. either. I just like to leave the gap for editing purposes. <laughs> you know, if you're feeling froggy, great. If you're not, you just you know, it's that little just just cut that little three <laughs> seconds, right? I mean, you know, whatever you feel like doing, it's great. It's great. I'm here to help, not to hurt. Uh, all right, so this time on Did It Age Well, we are covering 1997's Air Force One. Tonight I come to you with a pledge to change America's policy. Atrocity and terror are not political weapons. And to those who would use them, your day is over. In a speech tonight in Moscow, the president issued a direct challenge to terrorist nations around the world. But the question remains, what are the risks involved in such a bold policy initiative? They hated your speech, didn't they? We're afraid we wanted the guts to back it up. Air Force One, clear for takeoff. Thank you for your hospitality, Moscow. The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. What do they want? They want General Raddock released from prison. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. 
What are our airborne scenarios? There are no airborne scenarios. My husband will not negotiate. His wife, his daughter, I think he'll negotiate. How the hell did this happen? How the hell did they get Air Force One? Your national security advisor has been executed. He just bought you another half hour. Sir, your parachute. I'm not leaving without my family. You know who I am? I'm the president of the United States. Jim isn't making this decision as a president. He's making it as a husband and a father. Go! Let's not forget this president is a Medal of Honor winner. He knows how to fight. He has no right to take chances with his life. We cannot give into their demands. You've got a job to do. It makes me so proud, Mr. President, that you stuck with us. You know your father. He has also killed. You're nothing like my father. We're tracking six MiGs. I'm sending in our F-15s to protect you. She's in MiGs? In a war, people die. The president is up there with a gun to his head. I'm doing anything to save my family. Don't ask me for something I can't give. You could finish this with one phone call. This is the, of course, political action thriller film uh, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, starring Harrison Ford, Gary Oldman, Wendy Crewson, Paul uh, Goulfoyle, uh William H. Macy, Lysel Matthews, and Dean Stockwell. Also has appearances by the likes of Glenn Close. Um, so this movie it follows Harrison Ford. Get off my plane. That's his, you know, that's like the line, right, from the movie. Uh, as president of the United States, POTUS, James Marshall, uh, and his, uh, one, when he's on his plane, right, Air Force One, and he is taken over by a Russian loyalist, uh, well, a previous regime loyalist. And when I say previous regime, I mean like, he was the regime head like the day before. Um, and, uh, his name is Igor Karushnikov, um, played by Gary Oldman. Now, of course, they take over the plane. They want, uh, they want retribution. They want the president dead. And of course, Harrison Ford has to get his plane back. Um, I gotta say, this is one of those movies that really does age well. And it ages well because, for two reasons. One, acting is good and pacing is good. Now, setting and time, fashion, things of that nature, which when you're dealing with kind of conservative visual nature, like people in suits and, uh, you know, people in journalistic clothing and stuff, which is kind of like what you see here, kind of business to business casual, those kinds of things visually age somewhat well, but it's still, it's still dated. You can still see things that are going on, but because the acting is so good and the pacing is good, you don't, you, you tend to miss more of the things that go, wow, <laughs> they don't do that anymore, or wow, they don't do this much anymore, mainly because um, a lot of the stuff that we take for granted today in terms of radio communication, in terms of visual communication, stuff like that, um, and, and how we gather intel um, was somewhat ahead of its time, given what they're doing, right? I mean, this is 
cutting-edge material and all of the cool secret spy stuff and all the great military stuff. So there, while there are definite references to, holy crap, look at that phone, or wow, we don't do that anymore, um, that also gets kind of blended in because of the pacing and because of the way that the format of the movie works. Um, sure, uh, definitely in the visual effects department, things have gotten a little older and, 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 and somewhat dated, but it's just such a hell of a ride, and they also do a lot of things enclosed, right, because we're inside of a plane, um, that it makes it easier to hide things, uh, especially location-wise, that would give away time periods, places, uh, and eras and stuff. So this is really a good shell of a story to begin with that can hide its age with great actors doing good character work with really nice pacing. Um, it's not to say it doesn't have any issues. It definitely has some issues. But there, it's still a fun ride, great to watch, and I would say hands down easily aged very well. This is a great. This is a president as a hero. We've seen the president. He's been with hookers in movies. He's murdered people in the White House. This is the one you want to see, the president as a true American hero. See, this is not the kind of guy you see wearing earrings, Kevin. He's not one of those guys with a big earring in his ear. This is like a guy's guy. Do we need to describe anything? Did the people sort of get the idea? Well, I think so. Uh, You know, the president uh, finds himself in in a ticklish situation. Uh, he's, uh, he goes to Moscow to be congratulated for America's part in uh, capturing a, a general who's trying to uh, unseat the elected government of uh, new Republic of Kazakhstan. And he makes this statement about uh, not uh, dealing with terrorists. First of all, he takes blame for not having intervened quicker. He says that uh, while 200 people, uh, 200,000 people died, we watched it on TV much like this show (laughs) and uh, he says he vows never to let that happen again he said never will allow American uh, uh, foreign policy to be dictated by political uh, constituency and he makes a very firm pledge that he won't deal with terrorists and then he goes uh, and gets on his plane and sure enough his plane is captured by the same uh, because it seems inconceivable to people to think if you haven't seen the movie, see the edge. You go, well, how could the pre- president's plane be hijacked? But actually, when you see the film, it's quite, it's quite I think believable. It, uh, yeah, I think it all hangs together very well. It's one of the things that's best about this film is that it does feel like a real situation. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, pleased with the film, and I think it uh, is great entertainment. Tim! Way in, comrade. Yeah, it's actually very interesting that you said what you said about nothing really places it in a particular time or year. And I really didn't think about it, but that's one of the reasons I still really like this movie. I remember back when I was nine years old-ish watching this for the first time with my family, as well as my best friend at the time, his family as well. That was back when I don't know if people do this anymore or not. But, like, I remember my family would get together with my buddy Paul's family. We would get together, and they would just throw on a a movie randomly. And I remember the one movie that they rented, because at the time you would rent the VHS tapes, and if nobody wanted to go out and rent the movie, because usually they weren't ever there when you wanted to rent it, especially the popular ones, you would just go over to a friend's house and watch it. And adults used to do that, too. 
And so Paul, my good friend at the time's dad, put the movie on just as like a little background shit to play on his big screen TV to show it off. We all just ended up watching it. And it was an R-rated movie that really didn't feel like a hard R movie. I think one of the reasons why I was allowed to watch it was because the violence, which what made the movie R, was another element that assisted the action, that assisted the characters, that assisted the drama. Because it's mainly an action thriller. There's a lot of drama in it that the characters have to be put through, especially Harrison Ford. And some of that drama... And some of that intensity, for me at least, is what makes this movie absolutely fun to watch. And I'll be the first to say that it was definitely more fun as a kid, because I think my nine-year-old Tim imagination was a little bit broader and more exciting, I think, than it is maybe now. But even now, I can definitely acknowledge that the pacing had something to do with how, how this movie flowed absolutely perfectly. The structure of it, especially. Because you really don't know what to expect. You know, like, you don't know who's going to die or when some crazy violence is going to break out. I mean, you're not, like, crying for these people whenever good people just randomly get shot in the face or something. And the great thing is, you don't really see it. It's all leaving it up to the imagination. That's also where I think Wolfgang Peterson's masterful direction really shines, is just letting the imagination take over. And all of that just lends itself to the structure of the film, which is why it worked. But it's also the politics of the movie. And a lot of people will say that, well, the movie had, in a way, an upper hand in 1997 because you could still politically focus on Russia and get away with it and not seem dated, you know, especially since the Cold War has already been over for a period of time in 1997. But it wasn't about the Russians, You know, like, yeah, it was politically the Russians. You might have an idea that maybe the Russian government is the bad thing, but it necessarily didn't have to be about Russia. Now even the movie could be about Russia. It could be a a British terrorist. But what I'm able to understand more now, like, what makes this movie work? More so as a, than as a kid, because again, you know, as a kid, I, you know, the imagination kind of took over and any movie that was over two hours long that held my attention, that alone made a movie great for me. But what really makes this movie special now is not just its overall structure, but what makes up that overall structure. Like the pacing, where you really don't know what to expect, especially with the deaths and the violence. You know, and it makes watching the events play out fun in some way, because the movie doesn't take itself completely seriously. Yeah, you you care about the president. You want to see him succeed. You don't want to see his family get hurt. You don't want to see his his daughter die. But it's like Die Hard, in a way. You care for John McClane, but whenever he's stepping on the glass with bare feet, you feel for him, and you feel that pain, and you don't want to see him do it anymore because it's that intensity, and you really just don't like the bad guy and what the bad guys stand for. And even though John McClane's an asshole, he still is a good guy, and he still is a badass, and you just want to see what else he can do. And that's the same thing with Harrison Ford, and that's the same thing with Gary Oldman, who plays one of the bad guys. You just want to see what's going to happen next, and you're excited for it because you don't know what could possibly even happen next. And that's where the last act of the movie, when the fuel dump happens and the plane is going down, that's when a series of events take place one after another that just builds. 
you know, and it never lets up until the credits finally roll. And that is, of course, when Harrison Ford decides to dump the dump the fuel. He reveals himself after uh, letting all those letting all the passengers jump off the plane and parachute to safety. You know, and then you have to deal with the bad guy, and he kills Gary Oldman, and then all of a sudden. There's the dogfight happening with the Russians and the Americans, and the plane is going down. Like, after one suspenseful thing gets taken care of, another one happens. And then the last one, which should have been, like, an obvious thing, isn't necessarily an obvious thing that could have happened. Because there was that one character who you know is the bad guy, but nobody else knows he is the bad guy. And you just knew he was going to pop up and ruin everything, you know, at the last moment. But because of how this movie is structured, where it's just like one thing after another, and the last thing is the reveal. Not a, it's not a twist for us, but it's a twist for Harrison Ford uh, when he finds out that the head of the Secret Service, I think he was the head of the Secret Service, is in cahoots with the bad guys. You just kind of, you know, it, it, you're, you're surprised by it. Even though you saw it coming a mile away earlier on, you just didn't think things could get any worse for the guy, you know, and... It's just one of those fun things that I think a lot of action movies are missing now. And it's something that I like about, like, say, the John Wick movies, for example. And I'm sure I'm I'm forgetting a couple things off the top of my head right now. But it's the intensity and it's the not letting up. And even though something could be simplistic story-wise or character-wise, doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't work or can't work. Because, like with Die Hard... It's all about the structure and how you deal with all the events at hand. So I think that might be one of the main reasons why I think this movie absolutely aged well. I had the movie on Blu-ray. It comes with the director's commentary with Wolfgang Peterson. It's absolutely fascinating. You get to learn about the cool uh, use of the CGI and real shots. Especially for 1997, some of the stuff actually still looks all right. I mean, minus a couple things that I even thought in 1997 looked like crap. So, I mean, like, everything that you could want in a, in a fun, entertaining, good action movie, Air Force One has got it. It's got it all. I just had so much fun watching it. I haven't watched it in many, many years, and I think that definitely means something. People do like to see a hero. People want to see, you know, the leader of the country be, be a hero. Now, well, I think they want to see a guy with determination, with some moral point of view, with some uh, uh, something to offer, prevail against uh, difficult circumstances. Now, let me ask you about Air Force One. Is it like, yeah. like a big heart-shaped bed? I mean, what is it, what is it like? On <laughs> I mean, mirror on Mirrors the ceiling. On the ceiling yeah. <laughs> Like Vegas, you got the lava lamps doing this and all that. Did you no. see the private, is there a private bedroom on Air Force One? Yeah, yeah, there's a stateroom. For, uh, it's not especially luxurious, no. you know. It's not, uh, but it's very well appointed. It's very nicely made, put yeah. together. Uh, it's got an incredibly sophisticated uh, communications network so that the business of government can be conducted from anywhere. It looks much like what we what we built. Yeah. But you yeah. can't you know you can't go to the library and get a floor plan of Air Force One no, or no. picture. So it was really important for us to be able to see it. But it's and, a huge uh, plane, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's what is a it, 747. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm just kind of curious. Like, uh, didn't you watch it with your wife? Because she was saying that she was wanting to watch it with you. Did she enjoy it? Oh yeah. Once again. You know, promises, promises. Oh, so she so. did not watch it? No. I'm thinking I'm probably, uh, you know, I enjoyed the movie enough that I'm willing to, uh, I'm willing to, to make her watch it, but I think the easiest way to do it will probably just be to sit the whole family down and watch it. Because, 
I mean, it's a little intense, but 20 years on, most PG-13 movies are as tough as this. So, you know, so I'm confident we can at least let Libby watch it for sure. And then maybe uh, that'll induce Jen to watch it. Yeah. So, we'll see. Do they say fuck once in this movie? I can't remember off the top of my head. I I think one of the... I, oh, maybe I Gary Oldman says something. Combat guys, yeah, says it or something like that. I mean, if this is it, it's. I mean, heavy enough action and enough blood. I would say that probably, especially if twenty years ago, would bump that rating up. So much like people thought the Blob was scary in nineteen fifties, and now we laugh at it, kind of a thing. So. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, but but I'm, I'm guessing at the end of the day, you're saying yes at this aged well as well. Yes, I like a fine solving wine. I think it it aged quite well. <laughs> it's an easy two hours. Like it goes by so fast. It really does. Yes, I I definitely enjoyed this movie a lot. So cool. Well then, yay! We can safely say that Air Force One has aged well. And I think next week we're going to be doing a three squared and we are going to be doing dinner party scenes. Now, please note that it's dinner party. So this is not, you know, my dinner with Andre kind of a thing. Uh, think, think bigger, think more grandiose. Uh, now it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that the scene, that the party in question has to have 20 people or something like that, but you know, probably more than four would be you know would would be ideal so if you thinking thinking that kind of a vein like beatrice at yeah. dinner for those of sure, you who beatrice have seen at it. dinner or it's a disaster uh, murder by death i mean with a big group of people together you know uh these would be the these would be the kinds of dinner party scenes that we are going to be discussing so uh and that is for next week and so without further ado, I guess it's time for the movies, is it not, sir? Let's do it. Then here we go, folks. It's the movies. All right, and this week's movies are Beatrice at Dinner and Baby Driver. Where do you want to start, sir? How about Beatrice? All right. Beatrice at dinner. 2017 drama films directed by Miguel Arteta from a screenplay by Mike White. Stars Selma Hayek, John Lithgow, Connie Britton, Jay Duplass, Amy Landecker, Chloe Savini, and David Warshawski. Hey, hi, guys. Hi. This is my dear friend Beatrice. Hi. Nice to meet you. Beatrice is a healer. I do massage, sound therapy, Reiki. This woman is a saint. It's like birds fly out of the sky and land on her shoulder. Aw. It's like Snow White. Can I uh, get another bourbon, hun? Oh, no, Doug. This is Beatrice. She's staying for dinner. Oh. You were hovering. I just figured you were part of the, the staff. Oh, I know you. Doug's famous. He's been on the news. I don't know why. I think I know you. Ever dance in Vegas? <laughs> 
thank you for having us at your stunning home. I couldn't be more pleased at how smoothly this whole process has gone. Alex, if any of those efforts were illegal, I do not know you, nor was I even here tonight. <laughs> Neither was I, and it's my house. Yeah. I would just like to say to Kathy and Grant, thank you for having me. When I first came to the United States a long time ago... Did you come legally? Yes. Oh, this tenderloin was amazing. So was the fish, so buttery. So, dog, you build hotels. I just own them. I always had inside me the desire to be a healer. Good for you. You're working. You're contributing. We're going to South Africa in a couple of days. It's true what they say. Those animals would basically be gone if it wasn't for the hunting. I don't consider it murder. It's like this original dance of man and beast. The struggle for survival. Are you for real? You killed this... You think it's funny? I think it's sick. You think killing is hard? Try healing. You can break something in two seconds, but it can take forever to fix it. Sounds like you have a pretty tough job. I think that fate brought us together. For what? I don't know. Revenge, maybe? You think that you can hide up here behind these gates and that everything is going to be all right? The world doesn't need your feelings. It needs jobs. It needs money. It needs what I do. The world doesn't need you. Doug is a great philanthropist. Shut up, Gus. Hi, Chihuahua. <laughs> okay, you're, you're done. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you very much. What were you thinking? My relationship with that guy paid for this house. I kind of feel like I don't even know you. You don't know me. This can't possibly end well. And we have the we have the rather interesting yet likable Beatrice, who is a, a simple woman and uh, immigrant who takes uh, care of her animals and is kind of a spiritual person and, and i and i don't mean conventionally religious but definitely kind of a a, a spiritual a holistic may not be fair but in that vein kind of a kind of a person who is a massage therapist and not the sexy kind and <laughs> not the sexy kind, at least not anymore this is not desperado people and and so she is definitely she's let's just say she's having a day um she ends up over at uh kathy and um Grant, right? I keep getting Grant and Doug mixed up, but Grant and Kathy are she's at she's at Grant and Kathy's house, um, and they're gonna have a dinner party. Her car breaks down; she can't get anybody to come help her. She talks to Kathy, uh, and Kathy's like, "Well, go. You know what? That'd be fine. Stay for dinner. You know, um, and and of course." Grant is a little, I don't know if this is kind of the right person for our mix, but whatever, he agrees. So then we show up and we've got people like, uh, uh, Doug played by John Lithgow, uh, Jenna played by Amy Landecker, and other people as well, um, Evan and, um, uh, Alex, you know, these are, um, more people who show up to the party and and basically we see how the interaction between these kinds of people become and and it's kind of a it's it's meant to to be a fish out of water kind of a story at least in my opinion but the quirkiness of the characters kinds of bleeds over into the outlandishness of the film, which is meant to kind of be a barometer for the drama. 
okay? And, and while there are certain aspects of it that kind of keep it light and kind of allow, allow the, the movie to progress, it is a serious movie with someone, with, and, and you kind of see the boat, you, you kind of seeing both sides of a specific coin. And while it's definitely told with, uh, I don't know. It, with the amount of preaching that goes on, I feel like with an agenda. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that. It, it seems to defeat its own purpose. Instead of having Beatrice kind of be this beacon of reason, um, in an ever insane world, you, the, the juxtaposition of her kind of dissent against this backdrop makes, almost makes her look like the, the one that's in the wrong. And it's, and it's not, and I get that that's part of the complexity of the movie. I get that that's part of what is meant to be happening here. But what it instead comes out to is looking at two people who have nothing in common, have no bridge, have no way to understand one another, and instead of either letting bygones be bygones or finding a way within the story for them to overlap, they just use it to kind of feed the drama to a to a very non-organic end. Um, and so it makes it hard to like this movie. I like the characters, and I like the, the interplay between the characters, and I like the dynamics of the characters. I like the people that you're supposed to like. I like the people that you're supposed to hate, and the people you're supposed to love to hate. I I mean, I it's great character work and some really good actors, although I kind of feel like Jay Duplass uh, and Amy Landecker, who are also, uh, they actually play brother and sister in Transparent, which is an Amazon series. Um, I kind of felt like they were playing slightly hyperbolic versions of those roles from that. So it made it harder for me to buy in to their characters. But, you know, if you've not seen Transparent, then <laughs> it's not going to apply to you. Um, but I, I just feel like there, the movie had so much going for it that it didn't need to get lost in its preachiness and it didn't need to get lost in this, you know, fish out of water, you know, girl against the world kind of thing. And, and, and I, let's even not even say girl against a person against the world, uh, David and Goliath kind of, you know, juxtaposition. It just doesn't work to serve its own ends. Um, and, and that's what hurts the movie the most for me. I think they needed a better way to bridge that dynamic or to at least keep them parallel um, without it feeling forced and obvious. So I give this one a three out of five because it is so well acted and because the characters in and of themselves are really good. But I don't feel like the characters in the story work together. Three out of five. So, where are you from? Asadina. Ah, where are you really from? 
I was born in Tlaltecutli, Mexico. Tlaltecutli. On the Pacific. It was very beautiful once. Mexico's awesome. I love Cancun. But now, many hotels, timeshare. A lot of crime, I think. And where are you from? Laguna. But we have houses in there. Well, we're all over. But where are you really from? I was born in Oaxaca. <laughs> no, no, I was born in San Diego. <laughs> now I got the giggles. <laughs> Do I know you? Oh, Doug's famous. He's been on the news. You know, he's a mogul. I have opinions, and because I have money, people listen. I don't know why. I think I know you. Well, maybe. Ever dance in Vegas? <laughs> so I was looking forward to seeing this one quite a bit. In fact, there's a whole slew of movies that came out pretty recently that I've been really looking forward to. But this is the one that, after watching the trailer for it and reading up on it and listening to shit about NPR about it, that's just piqued my interest because I really, really like Selma Hayek. I think she is a great actress and I really like John Lithgow. And I, I just think like hearing that he plays like this crazy real estate mogul or or whatever, and then she plays this spiritual therapist, and for some reason they meet up at this gathering and they end up butting heads because they come from way opposite sides of the spectrum. Because obviously John Lithgow's character, he you know he's probably a hardcore conservative, and of course she might be illegal. I don't really know if we are told that for sure. I could be wrong. But I, I think it's kind of apparent that it, that she probably came over to the U.S. illegally. But again, you're not sure at all. And I think that's what's charming about this movie because what it focuses on, especially when it comes to the relationship between John Lithgow and Selma Hayek and Beatrice, I guess, is that he's making a lot of these assumptions based on what she looks like, how she sounds, where she came from, and what kind of job she has. She's a spiritual healer and doesn't really believe in uh, in using like the like chemotherapies and the harmful substances that kill the body especially when you're trying to treat the body and so it's very interesting and when the movie focuses on her character depth in relation with the family that she helps out it makes her very sympathetic because what you find out early on in the movie is that the reason why the family allows her to come, allows Beatrice to come to their home to do the massage therapy and the spiritual therapy and whatnot is because she was the healer of their young daughter who had some kind of crazy cancer. Like she, Beatrice, helped their daughter recover in some way. Now, granted, I don't know if it was because of her healing ability <laughs> or if obviously the medicine helped out or whatever, but you know what what you know what all ultimately made sense to the family is that while well, Beatrice was there, made their daughter happy, and their daughter got healthy and became cancer free and, and, and moved on. And we, which is very fascinating, and you know, it's a very uh, humble feeling, I, I suppose, for Beatrice. And again, like early on, it makes her very sympathetic. But one of the biggest drawbacks of this movie for me is that it's a little too heavy throughout, even for my taste. Like, it would have benefited if it were more of a comedy, a lighthearted comedy at first, before the events started to unfold. Because... 
right off the bat, you get one of those very indie drama vibes where it's like a dream state. You know, the camera's on a boat going down the river. You're not really told anything. Nothing's really explained. And then she finds out she has this relationship with a goat, which really none of it's really actually funny because of how it's shot and how it's staged. And then when she gets to the house and once she is stuck there and she has to start meeting these people and you start experiencing the isolation between her and and the groups of upper class folk, the movie kind of like picks up like it's it becomes more like, oh, wow, this is funny. Like, I feel bad for her. But at least for me, it was funny because I've seen people like that. I I don't want to compare myself to what Beatrice goes through, but I've been isolated by those like upper class people that I somehow I got invited to a party or or a gathering of friends or whatever at somebody's place and you know I have nothing to talk to them about because they have nothing to say to me or you know there's nothing that they can relate to me on or even try to uh, but I could with them but there's never that opportunity and that's what you experience with her and then when they finally sit down for the dinner that's when the first kind of argument breaks out and then once that argument breaks out she leaves the room and goes into another room And supposedly she's done for the night. But then she comes back to join the group again, and then something else sets her off, and she has to leave again. And so instead of it being more of, I said, lighthearted comedy earlier, but if the seriousness didn't take effect until maybe the second or third conversation, for example, then I think I would have been sympathetic for her character or towards her character from beginning to end. Because that would have led the ending to have been built up enough to where it was more of a bang. You know, that it was ultimately frustrating for her. Like, what you think she was fighting for a good fight. Because one, then once you throw in the whole spirituality thing where, you know, she believes we're all connected. And once you die, you come back to inadvertently help your old self out or help the goodness out and that always good people will come back as as good people again and the bad people will come back as bad people yada 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 you just kind of at least i got kind of lost in the translation of, of all that and how it was relevant to the overall story that they were trying to get across so in saying all of that there is still a lot of good to this movie like how I mentioned about the disconnect between Beatriz and the other class of people and how that was represented via the staging and the type of conversations. Uh, There is some stuff that I thought was very cheeky and funny and very enjoyable. Again, I just wish they waited to really bring more of her character out until later on in the film. Because like what Matt mentioned, it did feel like they had an agenda to push. But that is why I'm giving it 3.5 out of 5 for me. I was very excited to read the script because, to me, it it was so original for exactly that reason. It's like Mike White, the writer, he saw the potential. He saw how completely disarming and original it would be to put two characters together in a social situation who are from the two opposite ends of the economic spectrum. Doug Strutt, billionaire developer. Beatrice, Mexican immigrant, uh, who has to count her pennies. You immediately see what this film is all about when Doug Strutt gets out of his chauffeur-driven escalade with his wife, and he looks over and he sees an old jalopy parked in the driveway. 
and wonders, what's this all about? You know, you just don't see these, these people in this context, in, in this proximity to each other. You don't even see their vehicles in proximity with each other. That's how, that's how far apart we are. And that's the entire problem. Uh, we demonize the other side. So Mike set out to put these people in conflict, have them debate, and finding a very ingenious, ironic, and funny way to do it and, until it's not funny anymore. 3.5 out of 5. Well, that's not bad. I mean, we're, 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 both, we're both in like territory. Yeah. And that's, and that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's the important thing. I mean, the so. two characters I liked, or the two performances I wanted the most out of, they did do really good. So... I think if you're sure. able to rent it or if you're able to catch, you know, a bargain showing of it, I think it's worth it, especially for her performance. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. All right. Well, then that leaves us with Baby Driver. 2017 action comedy film written and directed by Edgar Wright. Stars Ansel Elgort, uh, Kevin Spacey, Lily James, John Bernthal, Elza Gonzalez, John Hamm, and Jamie Foxx. There he is. Why does he listen to music all the time? He had an accident when he was a kid. He's still got a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. That's what makes him the best. Aren't you mysterious? Maybe. This business is a world consistent of three things. Money, sex, and action. You gotta get blood on your hands. Wait, wait, I gotta start the song over. So you're just starting your day, or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y-Baby. This one, they say, listen to the music all the time. Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow? No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. And that's what makes him the best. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Now, I don't think I need to give you this speech about what happens when you say no, how I can break your legs and kill everyone you love. Because you already know that, don't you? Yeah. The moment you catch feelings is the moment you catch a bullet. And your uh, waitress girlfriend, she's cute. Let's keep it that way. I want us to head west and never stop. You in? I'm in, baby. One of these days, baby, you're gonna get blood on your hands. Time to face the music. Baby, we need to get out of here. I have to end this. Are we in bed together now? Baby. Baby? Baby. Michael Myers. This is Mike Myers. It should be the Halloween mask. This is a Halloween mask. No, the killer dude from Halloween. Oh, you mean Jason. No. Baby, you tell me who does. She a good girl? You love her? Yes, I do. That's too bad. And so we have Baby. A very young and talented getaway driver uh, in the city of Atlanta. He is... Uh, a guy that is basically 
like he he is like single-minded and focused but must listen to his music and music drives his being um for reasons that are very quickly explained <laughs> in the uh first part of the film but um also explored slightly deeper later on so I'll, we'll 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 let you figure that out for yourself uh he is of course a getaway driver working for uh Kevin Spacey's character of Doc and uh Doc basically has baby on a string because of money owed so th- you know kind of give you the setup and and baby wants to get out of the life but clearly he's kind of pulled in and then of course baby falls in love and well that just complicates everything now doesn't it so shenanigans will ensue movie carries on from there i don't want to say anything else because i don't want to spoil anything for you um and it's a kind of an easy movie to spoil i gotta say i am like so very 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 disappointed in edgar wright right now really 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 you just pissed off a lot of people but i think i have an idea of what you're gonna say here's why now i i want you to know that the movie gets a three okay it's i still like it okay don't before you you know grab the pitchforks and everything uh your pitchforks and torches please set them down momentarily the movie gets a three i still liked it but it could have been a significantly better film what pisses me off about this movie is that Edgar Wright literally spends the whole movie, for me, for me, he spends the whole movie trying to tell you how smart he is and how, and how much he understands music and how important music is to your soul and your being. And this is literally given to you in the opening fucking credits when half the fucking lyrics of the movie are printed everywhere. And Baby has to move in time to the music no matter what. Fuck, everybody has to move in time to the music no matter what. Gunshots have to move in time and fire to the time of the music no matter what. But that's the novelty of it. (laughs) But it's not a novelty when you do it for 90 fucking percent of the movie. And that's the problem. It's not a novelty anymore. It's a fucking gimmick. And it's literally shoved in your face from the get-go. And that is what pisses me off. Because when they step away from the gimmick and actually do the acting, the acting is really fucking good. And you can see Wright's brilliance in putting a scene together and showing exactly what you need to know. He he explains plot details very simply. He gives you everything that you need to know, sometimes in as little as five lines or less, which is great because he's keeping the exposition to a bare minimum, but brilliantly telling you so much more that affects the characters, how they act, and why they're going to do what they do later on. All of that is done when there's no music playing. But everything has to be around the fucking music. And I get that sometimes people's lives do revolve around music. Everybody has songs that play during important moments of their lives. Sometimes the songs don't fit the scenario. Sometimes they're completely outlandish, and that's what makes them stick out. 
sometimes they are so priceless in terms of how well they match what's going on. I remember one time back in uh, 2000, there's this girl that I really, really liked. And I had been wanting to date her for so long. For like four months, I wanted to date this girl. And I finally got my chance. And we dated for about six weeks or so. And I was more into her than she was into me. And so we eventually broke it off. Um, after we had gone out, we're sitting in my driveway because she had driven that night. And only God knows why comes on the fucking radio. Kid rocks. Only God knows why, right? That song sticks in my head forever. And it's a sad song. Uh, it's kind of a hopeless song, but you carry on and you soldier on. And that's what we both did with our lives from that night on, right? I get it. There are times and places in life where music defines you, or at least defines that moment. So I, I get that music is important, and I get that that's kind of the heart and soul of this movie. But I don't need to be told relentlessly that this is the case. I don't need Focus by Hocus Pocus playing in the back and maybe that's also part of the problem because i know a lot about music as well and so it feels like it's beating me over the head when people who are not as into music as i am would probably just be sitting back and enjoying it so maybe that's part of the problem for me um you know maybe you guys didn't know that there was a band in the 70s called hocus pocus and that their biggest hit was called focus maybe you didn't know that and maybe you're just sitting there going wow what crazy yodeling music's going on while he's trying to run away on foot in the middle of atlanta oh right so i mean i i i so i can see you know why you would know that right or where you you and i might disagree on these things i get it but for me, it's just that kind of stuff is being beat into your head all the damn time. And at a certain point, you just kind of have to say, enough. And then you get to the banality of it all. Because certain things happen not because of great foreshadowing. There are certain things that happen because of great foreshadowing, like I said before. Like when I said that exposition that really nails characterizations down that pay offs later on. But there are other things that are so blatantly obvious that happen. And there are certain, and, and certain other stuff that is just kind of like, it, it's just too patently obvious how this stuff is supposed to play out. And that's what makes me disappointed because we know he's done it better before. We know the things that he's capable of bringing to the table. The driving scenes are fantastic and frenetic. The action is fun and exciting. But the music and the principality of the music is so overbearing all the time that it makes... It, it it made those scenes where there is no music that much more amazing and that much more fun for me, but it took away from everything else in the movie. I like this movie, but this movie is heavily flawed. There are fucking continuity errors all over the place, and I'm going to give you one. One of the one of the scenes has a, a, a bank robbery scene, and it's the second heist of the movie. Okay. So I'm not telling you anything on the second heist of the movie. Truck gets rammed, and the truck is fixed in the next shot. 
are we just moving damage around? Is that how it works? The front end was completely fucked up. Now the front end is fine, and the damage is moved down to the door panels. I mean, come on. This is a fucking multi-million dollar. This is a $34 million movie, fool. You're telling me you couldn't afford more than one truck? Clearly you could. So, you know, I don't know. So it's shit like that. There's shit like that in a movie this good, and it doesn't belong. So, three out of five. I liked this movie. But it's got problems, and I'm disappointed because of it. Three out of five. Remove your pitchforks and and torches. Carry on. So you're not super excited about that they're probably going to be making a sequel to this? Because apparently Sony came back and said that they really want Edgar Wright to make it. And according to Edgar Wright, based on an article that I read earlier today, that he thinks out of all of his movies, Baby Driver would be the one movie that he would make a sequel to. And it would be completely contrived. You know why? Because there is literally... uh, Okay, I'm sorry. I can't say this without spoiling the movie so spoilers for this portion and i don't want to so maybe give us like 10 or 15 seconds here and then come back for tim so here we go three two one spoiler uh john bernthal's character is the only bad guy-esque character who's who walks away and survives this movie because he's only seen at the beginning and never seen again so what is he going to suddenly somehow be related to one of these people and now he's going to hunt him down and because baby's on parole, he's got to come get him or something because he kidnaps his girl. I mean, it would literally be the most contrived thing to make a sequel to this movie. What other kind of music are you going to focus on? Are they going to do all the baby songs? I really don't think that, was, that this movie should get a sequel in any way, shape, or form. So that was at least 20 seconds. So I'm sorry if I've spoiled it for anybody. No, it's fine. I agree quite a bit with what you're saying. And this movie in some way reminded me a lot of Suicide Squad. The crutch of that movie was its music, its classic rock songs that we all know and love, or at least the classic rock songs that I knew and loved back in high school, in junior high school. Like, growing up, I loved fucking Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody, but I got fucking tired of listening to it because it's overplayed that it really didn't do all that much for me when seeing it in Suicide Squad. So, to be fair to everybody, Suicide Squad, Matt gave it a 1.75, and I gave it a 3. Recently rewatched it, I would probably give it a little bit lower of of a score. What this movie does better than Suicide Squad is definitely more, it's a more cohesive movie. It's a better movie, and the songs are definitely more obscure for some people, and they're classics. But these are all songs that I know. Like, I was out driving around really fast doing illegal car things to these songs. Uh, Maybe Edgar Wright was doing the same thing back in the day. Maybe not. I don't know. I can definitely agree with what you were saying, Matt, about the whole, you know, more than likely a lot of people don't know what these songs are. And so they're going to be behind it because it fits so well in these particular moments or in those particular scenes or whatever. And I think that's probably the case right there. If you look at the people that love this movie are more than likely the people 
that don't listen to that kind of music. And I'm not saying it to be mean. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. But you look on uh, movie websites. You, you read movie reviews. You look at the people that are just hyping this movie up, saying that this is the best movie because of the yada, 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 yada. And the soundtrack is really good, but that shouldn't be what defines the movie. And the acting is really good, though. It's top-notch performing and top-notch storytelling. Unlike his other movies, the one Edgar Wright movie I think I can compare to this one, technically, like editing-wise, is Hot Fuzz. When I went to go see Hot Fuzz for the first time, I went because there was a lot of hype probably less hype than this movie. I was a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead when it was released on DVD. Fucking loved it. One of my favorite movies at that time. I think I watched it like 20 times in like a week. Probably not that, but just just many times. So I was super excited to see his follow-up movie. Went to go see it, saw it the first time, thought uh, it was a good movie. Revisited it later on when it was released on Stars or Showtime, HBO or whatever, I absolutely loved that fucking movie. I thought it was great. Because it was the pacing and what they were trying to do with the film. It was a compelling story with compelling characters. And not compelling as in the story moved me. It was just an entertaining, well-thought-out story. With Baby Driver, we've seen heist movies. The idea of Baby having the tinnitus is novel which is why he has to have the you know the music playing constantly. Novel idea. I really like John Hamm's character arc. I really like the love interest with, with Imogen Poots. But a lot of this movie, what makes up the novelty factor of this movie is the style and the music. And it seems like it's relying on it to really drive this film home. And the reason why, one of the reasons why I brought up Hot Fuzz, not just because I wanted to compare the two because of the editing, was because that maybe this could be one that could grow on me after repeated viewings. But I can tell you right now, it's not going to have the same effect as Shaun the Dead or, or Hot Fuzz, because it's more technical than an overall well-put-together film, uh, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not going to care about Baby as much anymore. I'm just going to rewatch it again and see if I get more out of the experience. And what really makes the movie what it is, is that not only does it rely on the music, but it relies on the sound and how loud you must hear this film. So if you don't see it in a loud theater, you're not going to really get the full effect of the movie. I particularly didn't find the gags in this movie funny, like most people did or do. So if you just watch it with not the greatest sound, you're probably not going to get the full effect. And unfortunately, when I saw it, I didn't get the full effect because the sound wasn't all that great at the particular theater that I went to. And it just felt like if a movie has to rely on all of that, very much like Suicide Squad to, I mean, I mean, that's different. I mean, Suicide Squad is definitely not a great movie compared to Baby Driver. I think that's kind of a substantial knock against a movie. Uh, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm going to definitely see it again soon. I'm sitting on 3.75 out of 5. I know I'm knocking it, but it was just overly frustrating. And I would like to see this movie 
in a better setting to see if I can get the full effect and to see if that'll really like do something else for the film. Because maybe maybe I missed something. Maybe I missed something that everybody else got. I don't know. But 3.75 out of 5 for me. I'm looking at some of the country's finest thugs. And of course, young Mozart in a go-kart over there. People love great bank robbery stories. So let's give them something bold, shameless, and brazen as to talk about over their lattes. Baby Driver is about a group of sociopaths, psychopaths, nut jobs, and baby. Hey. Baby is an exceptional getaway driver. The entire movie moves to the sound of his all of the bank robberies and all of the film is driven by the music in this group of ruthless criminals you have this innocent kid he literally sits as far away from them as he can because he doesn't really want to be part of the group what are you listening to uh music that's right you tell him baby there's a lot of conflicted feelings in his relationships with what he does baby is a worthy hero he doesn't want anyone to get hurt doc and baby end up having a relationship that's almost uh father-like you're the best in the business and i'm not doing this job without you but he's a tough leader he likes everyone to do their job and to shut the up hey watch your mouth right on right on all right well next week's movies uh, are going to be spider-man homecoming and Akja, which of course we discussed a few weeks ago, um, due to the Cannes Film Festival fiasco, as it were. So we'll be checking that one out. That's of course on Netflix. And then of course, Spider-Man Homecoming is in the theaters. And so without further ado, I believe it is time for the spiel. Is it not, sir? Spiel on. Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, oh yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are of course the SLS Cast and you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com You can of course follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345 and of course come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Lily James, I get to say this. It's pretty disabling sometimes, the terror of not living up. My expectations are the worst. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, there we are, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Monsieur! Has it worked? I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. That'll do, Pig. That'll do. Well, that about does her. Wraps are all up. Things seem to have worked out pretty good for the dude and Walter.
I guess that's the way the whole darned human comedy keeps perpetuating itself down through the generations. Well, I hope you folks enjoyed yourselves. Catch you later on down the trail. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>